You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. This is one of those rare episodes of the Paracast where at least two of the people who participate are in the same room together for better or for worse. Yeah, elbow to elbow. Not quite. Actually, he's about four feet from me, and we're trying to make it five feet. Right. Because we had kind of a late start with last week's episode on time travel and wormholes, I wanted to go back to the show that Chris and I did with Ed Komarik. Oh, boy. (laughs) Now, a lot of people listened to that show and said, gee, this guy speaks a mile a minute. Now, some were insulting. Some figured because of his accent they thought they were going back to Mayberry. Ed's a pretty bright guy, though. You don't let the accent fool you. He's pretty bright, but boy, he sure wants to believe. He's definitely dialed in on that. The one thing that bothered me is when he says, well, I got this stuff on the Internet. I know. (sighs) Well, the Internet's a wonderful resource tool, and, and we all use it, and we're becoming more and more reliant on it, but... I think you made a really good point, Gene, that you need to corroborate these sources. You can't just go on a single Internet uh, story or fact or piece of research. You really do have to be careful. You can't take what you get on the Internet as gospel unless you can back it up with other source materials. So um, I think that was a point that you made, and and it's one that all aspiring researchers out there should uh, remember. The Internet can be your friend, but can also bite you. And as I said in our editorial for our weekly Powercast newsletter, I pointed out one of the problems with doing your research on the Internet is that anybody can publish on the Internet. Anybody. Yeah. Right. You get on you, Gene. That's right. Look, (laughs) there's an example. I got on the Internet. Chris O'Brien got on the Internet. Yeah. There you go. I was one of the first one million websites on the net. Back in 94, I became the first person on the Internet in the San Luis Valley and got some help and slapped up a a website and found out that I had made it under the 1 million mark. So I was one of the first 1 million websites. You'd never know it looking at my site now. but It was certainly an early effort to put something together. In fact, your content management system was something five, six years old. Yeah. And now it's more modernized. But, yeah, you were one of the early people. But the key is today, if you want to get online and have a blog, you can go to Blogger, which is from Google, and get a free blog. You can go to WordPress and set up a free WordPress blog. And everybody uses WordPress. It's not just people who are professionals. It's anybody. Tens of millions of people use WordPress. If that's not enough, you want something a bit more comprehensive, you spend $5 a month for a web hosting plan, and they have one-click installers for WordPress. So anybody can get on there. There's no test. There's no litmus test that says, well, you got to know this, and you got to know that, and you have to have a journalism degree. No, you have to have $5, or you can do it free to get online. So that doesn't prove anything. Of course, it doesn't mean that there aren't really good researchers and writers on the internet it merely means that the playing field has been leveled everybody can get on yeah well when you're researching one one thing that you should look for in a particular subject that you're researching is look for websites that that end in edu chances are you're going to be getting credible research uh, from an educational 
website, one that's affiliated with some sort of educational institution. Um, that's always where I start, is trying my best to get uh, you know academia involved in my research. And uh, you, you tend to have a better chance of getting some really good information that way. Now, a lot of people look at Wikipedia, but Wikipedia is the people's encyclopedia, which means anybody could get credentials to edit. Anybody can get on there and put up an entry about anyone and everybody. Yeah. You're laughing. <laughs> Why? Do you, have a, do you have a Wikipedia entry there? Not about I've me. I've never looked. It's not one about me. Yeah. I'm mentioned there, but I don't have, nobody's actually put one up on me, thank God. You can put up your own. You see, that's it, too. No. No. You can put up your own Wikipedia entry. Yeah, homie doesn't go there. Okay. I'm already a legend in my own mind. I don't need to be a legend in everybody else's, too. Right. So you're not <laughs> going to put up a Wikipedia uh, no. entry. There's one for the Paracast. Yes, there is. I think I mentioned on that one, too. That's right. Yeah. That's because I put your name there. There you go. Well, thank you, Gene. But as far as research is concerned, you know, maybe we have to go back to the old-fashioned way, looking things up in books and magazine articles. Yeah. I'll say. But someone writes an entire book and says, well, I picked up this material on the Internet. I believe in one case, and I didn't double-check this in the book, but he quoted someone from a message board. And if you think that the Internet and blogs are uncurated, think about message boards. Especially above top secret. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> or Godlike Productions or The Book of Thoth. What this means, though, if you want to prove anything, if you just want to find something that validates your point of view, you'll find it. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. And if you want to create validation, you simply post on a message board, and people will agree with you, and people will disagree. So what you do, of course, is to quote the people who agree with you. Or you could uh, post some research, put somebody else's name on it, and then cite that uh, particular entry to support your conclusion. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of different ways you can handle it. Well, that's one way of doing it. That's one way of doing it. But in that case, my conclusion about Ed Komarik is that he is sincere. He has some fascinating ideas. And it's always possible some of his ideas might be right. Yeah. One thing he says that I kind of agree with is we should not assume that E.T., if E.T. exists, and we assume there's an E.T., whether or not they're here on this planet is another story, that E.T. is necessarily going to be friendly or friendlier than we are, just because they're more advanced scientifically, have a higher level of technology, doesn't mean that their moral behavior is any better. Yeah, just don't tell that to Stephen Greer or some of the New Agers out there who believe that the benevolent Space Brothers are only out in space because they are allowed out in space because they're you know, they're good guys. So he's saying basically that if you are allowed to have a space program, therefore, by being allowed to have a space program, that means that you have to be good. Morally evolved, I think, would be one way to put it. I'm not, I'm not sure if I uh, particularly agree with that. I would think that uh, look, look at voyages of, of discovery and the resulting conquest that happened on our planet. Most times, uh, colonial powers or others uh, set out to discover new lands. They ended up being, they would adversely impact the, the people that they uh, discovered. So who's to say that's not the case, uh, you know, in the galaxy? 
I think we might have uh, some marauding space uh, pirate types out there that are looking for resources, looking for for things that they value, um, you know, and, and I, we might just be in the way. So you can't assume that the Benevolent Space Brothers are running the program out there. And if they pretend to be benevolent, well, that might be the worst of all. This week we have a return visit by the famed UFO historian Jerome Clark. And But we're not going to talk just 100% about UFOs or even partly about UFOs because he has a new edition of his book out called Unexplained, Strange Sightings, Incredible Occurrences, and Puzzling Physical Phenomena. This is the third edition. And the interesting thing about this book is that's only partly related to UFOs. Yeah, very uh, not actually the vast majority of it is about other Fortean type uh, unexplained phenomena, and uh, this is an invaluable research book. And as I mentioned, Gene earlier, this is I think the only book I have on the paranormal where I have now all three editions. So I have three copies of the same book, and you know every few years he's been adding uh, some new entries in there. And and this uh, particular version of the book is very very attractive. Um, it's coming to us from Visible Ink Press. It's really well laid out, and this is invaluable for uh, as a research tool. And remember, you'll find us online over at Twitter, where we're known as the Paracast. The Paracast on Twitter. Jerome Clark, coming forth this week, you're in the Paracast. You know, neighbors, during the summer, it seems like almost everyone is on a different schedule. They have vacations, they have shorter days, and they work remotely. So meeting all your clients and colleagues in person can just be impossible. That's why I recommend go to meeting with HD Faces. It lets you meet face-to-face no matter where you are this summer. Here's how it works. With GoToMeeting by Citrix, it just takes a webcam and a click to collaborate in a group HD video. You can even get an iPad app for it. How about that? Plus, GoToMeeting is so easy to use. You know, our listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. So don't wait for this special offer. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, use the promo code PODCAST, use the promo code PODCAST at GoToMeeting.com to get a free trial for just 30 days, neighbors. And don't forget that special iPad app. Good day. Peter Kranchnobel from Midas Resources. Today is August 24th, 2012. Gold opened this morning at 1665.20. A one-ounce gold coin can be purchased for 1706.66, 853.33 for a half ounce, and 426.67 for a quarter ounce. 1706.66, 853.33, and 426.67. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? Wait a sec. Gold and silver is going up while Congress is trying to settle on the next debt increase. And there's no end to this madness. That old 401k and IRA can be converted into physical gold without tax consequences. I explain this in my book, 10 Reasons to Buy Gold. Don't let time slip away. Call for your free copy today, 800-686-2237. Get away from that Washington spin and get honest answers about gold. 800-686-2237. The book is free, 800-686-2237. 
American gardeners and fellow patriots make the right choice with your money, time, and your family food supply. Choose 100% pure heirloom seeds in the Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com. Why spend more? The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com is only $37.95 and includes 20 varieties of pure, hardy, easy-to-grow heirloom seeds. Yes, only $37.95. That's 70% less than our competitors. You could buy three Survival Seed Vaults for less than one of theirs. The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com includes detailed planting and seed saving instructions and ship same day. Plus, all orders over $49 ship free. MyPatriotSupply.com is American owned by patriots like you, passionate about freedom and preparedness. Call now, 866-229-0927. That's 866-229-0927. Or discover more emergency preparedness items when you order at MyPatriotSupply.com. Choose the original. Choose the Survival Seed Vault at MyPatriotSupply.com. Will I have garlic breath after I take Ali C? We get that question all the time about the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. And the answer is, Ali C contains stabilized allicin, nature's antimicrobial agent, and the active ingredient in crushed garlic, but will not give you garlic breath. Scientifically proven in double-blind studies, using low doses of allicin greatly reduces the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Our powerful Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin. Just one tablet of Ali C is equivalent to 40 garlic cloves. It's effective against asthma. MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections, and helps lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Plus, it's a natural mosquito repellent. Boost resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 877-888-7126 or garlichealthproducts.com. Fight back with Ali C. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Back on the Paracast with Gene and Chris, we have Jerome Clark, who has been at this game for more than a few years. He's not as old as the hills I take. That credit, and Jim Mosley, by the way, being much older than the Hills. <laughs> but you see, there are some interesting books that came out this week. There's one called The Authentic Book of Ultra-Terrestrial Contacts, which we're not going to mention because Jerome Clark didn't write it. That's from Tim Beckley. We are going to mention the third edition of Unexplained. Jerry, welcome back to the Paracast. Tell us what's new different about the book, the third edition. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. And it's always fun when I do this show. The book, it's a significantly changed version of the book. It's of unexplained. There's a lot of new material. I dropped a bunch of material from the previous editions, figuring that I had said all I had to say on those subjects. But the new book has a lot of new material, including a fair amount of material that has never appeared between book covers before. So I think it's going to be a really interesting book, even for people who are well-read in anomalies literature. And, of course, I think it'll be a lot of fun for people who aren't well-read in that. But there's just I think the book turned out, and I have to say I'm pleased with it. Well, one of the things, of course, I was mentioning to our listeners before we got you on is the fact that UFOs are just peripheral to this, that we have so many other things going on, like hairy dwarfs and ghost lice and serpents and teleportation and all this other stuff, 
And thinking of things like teleportation, for example, and we always think of the movie The Fly, we think of beaming me to a new planet, as they do in the Star Trek universe. But in your particular case, teleportation in relation to the unexplained, what do you mean? Well, this is a term that was invented by Charles Fort, the great writer on anomalies. And it's the instantaneous transport from one place to another. There are a number of, you know, curious anecdotes making those claims. It's not the most evidentially supported anomalous claim, which is why it's in the curiosities rather than mystery section of my book, as I recall, because we just don't have evidence for it. But there are stories that are always interesting and intriguing. And it's a recurring theme throughout, you know, the human tradition of mysterious experiences. In the case of that, what's your personal opinion about something like teleportation? Do you think that it's possible we'll learn that technology? I think that we'll probably learn to be able to do just about anything given enough time and enough evolution of technology, assuming that uh, those happen at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I don't know why not, but obviously it's beyond current physics. So when something like this happens, do you think it's a natural phenomenon? Do you think somebody else is playing around over there or out there somewhere? Well, I, I think that probably anything that happens is a natural phenomenon by definition. But the mechanics of it, um, you know, you get teleportation-like stories in some rare UFO cases, and then you get teleportation-like phenomena in, you know, fairy lore kinds of experiences, religious contexts. It's just something that is alleged to occur just in a, in a broad range of of human experiences of the otherworldly, whatever particular guise that otherworldly experience takes at any given cultural moment. Now, that's an interesting thing you point out here, which is part and parcel of these experiences, that there's a cultural relationship between experiences and how they manifest themselves. Is that assuming, therefore, that our subconscious is influencing us? Well... There are two things to say about that. One is that there are certain kinds of phenomena that are remarkably consistent over time and space. One of them is the poltergeist. Poltergeist phenomena seem pretty much the same wherever and whenever they occur. There are other things that seem to have a cultural component in at least the way the phenomena are perceived. For example, it's notorious that within the fairy tradition, although Certain themes run through all fairy traditions all over the world and in all times and all places. The particular way that people see and experience these otherworldly entities changes. To some extent, this is also true of things like UFOs, um, creatures. They're both consistent and culture-specific. It's as if people have these experiences, and the experiences are genuinely mysterious and anomalous, but the way they're experienced comes out of any particular culture's particular sense of the supernatural, of a particular society's idea of how an otherworldly experience would play out. It's very strange. You know, we think of things as either objective or subjective, but in so many of these things, which I call experience anomalies, they really seem to be both. They seem to be 
occurring in some objective state, but being experienced in some kind of per subjective perception. Now, looking at the subjective impression, how does that affect it, in your opinion? Well, it affects what you see. It affects your interpretation of what's happening to you. You're encountering something that is genuinely really strange and outside current knowledge, outside consensus reality. But how you interpret that experience really depends on the kinds of ideas that a culture gives us about what extraordinary experiences would be like and what you would see and experience in that occurrence. So, for example, if you were living in, uh, say, the west of Ireland in the 19th century and you encountered mysterious entities that clearly were not part of our consensus reality, you would probably experience them as fairy folk. Um, in another context, you might experience these things as demonic entities or just about any kind of way that you could imagine supernatural beings being. You, would, you might experience them as ghosts or monsters or religious entities. It just all depends on what you really expect to experience. That doesn't mean the experience is imaginary. It's just that you experience in a certain way that is based upon your preconceived ideas of how this kind of experience would play out. Yeah, so basically you're saying it's cultural front-loading. It's what we've kind of grown up and been uh, entrained with by the culture, uh, and we revert to that front-loading when we experience something unusual. Yes, th this isn't 100% of the case. I believe that there are things out there that we do experience that probably do have some kind of objective consensus reality existence, even if it's unrecognized at the moment. But most high strangeness experiences that people have come, as you say, with this cultural front-loading. That doesn't make them any more less mysterious. In fact, if anything, they're even more mysterious Say that a certain percentage of UFO reports. I'll tell you, we've got to do the break here, then we'll go into why they're more mysterious. We, okay. have, we have Jerome Clark joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio, DreamHost.com radio. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate 
awaits. Every day, nearly 3,000 families enter into foreclosure and face losing their home. If you're currently behind on your mortgage, you can still avoid foreclosure. You can save your home, but you need to act now. We're Allied State Foreclosure Services. We're experts in saving homes from foreclosure. With just one phone call to us, you can stop the foreclosure process, lower your monthly mortgage payments, and save your home. Call now. The call is free with no obligation. 1-800-597-8843. Call us if you've been threatened with foreclosure, denied loan modification, or missed a payment on your mortgage. If you've been a victim of a predatory loan or are upside down on your mortgage, even if you've lost your job and you're worried about losing your home, don't wait. Call us now and let us help you save your home. You've worked hard to build a life with your family. Let us help you keep your home. Call now before it's too late. 1-800-597-8843. 1-800-597-8843. 1-800-597-8843. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. America. Land of the free. But how free can you be, really, when Internet viruses and malware can attack your computer? Sure, you have antivirus protection, but it's not free, is it? Until now. Now, Zone Alarm offers free antivirus protection. And independent studies show that Zone Alarm provides better malware protection than even Norton and McAfee. And they're not free, are they? Declare your freedom and go to GetBetterForFree.com. That's GetBetterForFree.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast, and we're talking with Jerome Clark, author of the third edition of Unexplained, about strange sightings, incredible occurrences, and puzzling physical phenomena. And we were now related to the cultural conditioning and Jerry how it front loads our encounters with UFOs yes or cryptozoological animals let's say for example that some reports of UFOs or of unknown animals are really of technological craft or genuinely hidden animals that exist in in, in a conventional zoological sense 
some of these things will be found. Some of these things are experienced probably as they are. For example, if there, if some percentage of UFO reports, let's say the hard evidence reports, this close encounter of the second kind, the radar visuals, let's suppose these represent actual perceptions of actual extraterrestrial visitors. But most UFO experiences, particularly the really high strangest UFO experiences, or in the cryptozoological context, the encounters with bizarre monsters, these are what I call experience anomalies as opposed to anomalous events. And this is where you encounter some unknown, but your mental processing, processing of it takes on a cultural coloration. And I like that term, cultural front-loading. I wish I'd thought of that myself, but that's a good way to put it. Well, one thing that I've often wondered, uh, having investigated um, hundreds and hundreds of, of cases and interviewed um, probably thousands of people by this point, one thing I've noticed is there may be the possibility that the types of events that people are experiencing are not fully fleshed out in terms of details, that the actual experiencer somehow supplies some of the detailing, which is accurate, but only because they're the ones that are experiencing it. I see this kind of personal bias in multiple witness events. Let's say a, a group of people have an unusual experience. Generally, the facts of the, of the experience will be fairly consistent, but in times of duration uh, and, and sequence of events and sometimes uh, descriptions can vary wildly, and, and I've always wondered about that. Do you think that the experiencer may be partially responsible for, for the actual details of what they're experiencing? Well, yeah, I think there, there's some truth in that. There's also other considerations. For example, an experience of the extraordinary is just shocking by definition. You know, people aren't prepared for it. Everything has told them that it isn't possible. So when it happens, they're completely unprepared. They're just in a state of shock and, in, in some cases, denial. Also, many of these experiences are of fairly short duration. So you have two things. You have the shock and you have the shortness of the experience. And these things are really hard to reconstruct and process and turn into some kind of coherent narrative. And so we have all kinds of things going that get between us and perhaps the true nature of the experience. It doesn't mean that people are, are wrong or they were imagining things. It's just that because of the nature of the experience, people have a real hard time processing it because nothing has prepared them for it. Other more normal human events, we're used to. We know how they work. We more or less expect them, even if they're you know, surprising or unpleasant. We can talk about them. We have a narrative for them. These things exist kind of outside you know, conventional narrative, con conventional causation. I remember my own experience, which I talk about in the book, of seeing you know, a phantom quadruped on about three different occasions, and I had a very difficult time dealing with the experience, making sense of it, even acknowledging it, that it was truly extraordinary. That's interesting. I, I, I don't recall, actually, uh, right off the top of my head, that experience. You want to give us a, a quick thumbnail about that? Well, this is in the chapter on black dogs, and this was an incident that happened in the summer of 2000. It happened on three occasions. On the first two, I was the only witness. The second, the third incident, my wife, Helene, also saw this thing. But it was a thing that I saw on our front steps. 
during the summer of 2000, and in each, and the first two occasions between 10.30 and 11 p.m. And I was aware that there was something on the porch. I was pulling up in my car late in the evening. There was something lying on the front steps. And at first I thought it was our dog, but our dog was never out in the front yard, ever. And I, But I couldn't quite see what it was, but I knew that it was some kind of animal. And so I walked quickly toward it, but as I was walking toward it, it left the steps and, and headed off in a kind of southwestern direction and then vanished in front of me, maybe about 10 feet from me. And I never got a very good look at it, but it was kind of like the general shape of, of a large dog, but it made no sound and it was there and then it wasn't there. This happened on, as I say, on three occasions. I never got a very good look at it. It was almost more like the idea of something than the thing itself. It was extremely puzzling, and it took me weeks before I could accept that I had had a truly extraordinary experience. And I spent all the rest of that time researching, trying to figure out what kind of conventional animal could have been that. And there were no candidates at the end of that. And of course, also, Obviously, conventional animals don't vanish in front of your eyes, but I couldn't even process that detail. Now, I'm someone who spent his life studying these things, and when even I couldn't deal with what I was seeing, I can understand how naive witnesses must feel. What sort of time frame uh, did all three occurrences, were, were they within a, a fairly close proximity time-wise? Or? The last of them occurred at quarter to four in the morning. And my wife and I just happened to be up for various circumstances, which are described in the book, that had us up at an unusual hour. The other two occurred between 10.30 and 11 p.m. So this is all like within the same day, is, is what you're saying? Within well, this was hours? a course of about a month. Oh, okay, over a month's time. These were three different occasions over about a month in the summer of 2000. Huh, interesting. So you never, never really got to the bottom of it, huh? No. It was completely motiveless, purpose, purposeless. Didn't make any sense, but it was deeply strange. When I was Never little, I, I saw some some what appeared to be miniature kangaroos, about four inches high, five inches high, that were hopping around the yard. And and uh, at at first, my family thought that uh, these things were kangaroo rats, but there were none uh, anywhere uh, in the area where I lived. And they didn't really look like kangaroo rats because they didn't have that 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 tail. They had a, a furry tail. Which uh, that always puzzled me. I saw these on on a number of occasions one summer when I was growing up. I think I was about eight or nine, and uh, I was able to uh, alert my dad, and he actually saw one too. And we were both scratching our heads, going, "What the heck is that?" Was this in daylight? Uh, yeah, it had tall ears like a kangaroo. It didn't have the small uh, ears that you would equate with a kangaroo rat. So, you know, there are some very strange things out there, and your book is filled with some amazing stories uh, with crypto creatures and. And myrrh beans, and uh, there's some real good stuff in here right now. I'm, I'm looking forward to covering some of it. Okay, good. That was a good long answer. Oh, <laughs> um, I thought we were going to a break. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we got a bit more. Missed the cue. Okay, um, yes, I think, for example, uh, one thing that I'm particularly proud of is there's perhaps the uh, most comprehensive treatment of mermaid sightings that anybody has compiled, to my knowledge. 
I spent years working on that one. I got interested in mermaid sightings because I was looking for something akin to um, other kinds of anomalous experiences, but I wanted to find something that was so outrageous that nobody could argue that it acts, that these things actually existed. But I wanted to see if the experiences of seeing mermaids had the same kind of feeling of the vivid feeling of reality that other kinds of anomalous occurrences have. We'll get into mermaids, mermen, and lots of other subjects with Jerome Clark. He's author of Unexplained, now in his third edition. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo Tote Bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children. Stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Let's keep preparedness simple. Do you need stuff for disasters? Of course you do. For over 15 years, DisasterStuff.com has, well, stuff for disasters. See? Easy to remember. DisasterStuff.com. Want free shipping on a new Berkey water filter? DisasterStuff.com is the official Berkey in-stock shipping center. Lots of folks want an EMP Faraday bag to protect sensitive electronics during a solar or nuclear event. Now for a limited time, all survival gear purchases over $75 include a free 8x8-inch EMP Faraday bag. Just enter promo code EMP bag when you check out at DisasterStuff.com. We're also a Country Living Grain Mill authorized dealer. Plus, we offer freeze-dried foods by Alpine Air and Wise Foods. We also carry emergency kits, survival seeds, and much more. Preparedness should be simple, and it is. Just remember, DisasterStuff.com. Freedom through self-reliance and personal responsibility. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all-natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. 
That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM1, the raw probiotic. Do you owe the IRS money that you can't pay? Are tax liens and levies ruining your life? Are you tired of being afraid just to go to the mailbox? If this describes you, then Dan Pilla can help. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla, and I've been solving tax problems for more than 30 years. In fact, I wrote the book that made it possible to negotiate settlements with the IRS, and I've helped thousands of people do exactly that. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. New changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever before eliminate their debts once and for all. There's no need for you to suffer another day with IRS debt. Call 800-346-6829. I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. We have Jerome Clark. The book is called Unexplained in its third edition. And we ended the previous segment talking about mermaids. And many time I think of mermaids, I think of a certain film called Splash. Yeah, <laughs> Daryl Hannah. <laughs> Boy, I wouldn't mind walking along a beach and finding her. Well, in the quote-unquote real encounters with mermaids that have been recorded historically for a long time. One thing you discover if you start reading enough of them is that mermaids and mermen aren't very much like Daryl Hannah. In fact, they don't even speak, and witnesses almost inevitably describe them using the pronoun it and clearly deem what they are seeing as an animal, despite ex- fantastically human-like appearance. There is nothing that gives the impression of a human level of intelligence or human personality. These are strike people who allegedly see them as, you know, creatures as opposed to beings. And I had was deeply into the study of this before I suddenly realized that this is one consistent theme of the, of the sighting reports. I'm not arguing that that mermaids and mermen exist in any biological sense. If they did, there would be no question of their existence because so many of the sightings are in shallow coastal waters where bodies would wash to shore. But nonetheless, the, the sightings of these fantastic entities have the same kind of vivid sense of reality that encounters with, you know, lake monsters or hairy bipeds or other kinds of creatures and monsters have. In other words, this is the the sensation of seeing a mermaid is something that can happen to you. It's experienceable, in other words. It doesn't it's not an event because you're never going to get a body because they don't exist that way. But they do exist in, in extraordinary experience. And that makes them as I want to emphasize again, no less puzzling, if anything, even more puzzling than, you know, the sightings of, you know, quote-unquote conventional unusual animals. How can you even say conventional and unconventional? But of all the various legends with which you deal with in the book, which ones don't pass muster? Which ones are obviously not strange 
or strange events, but fake, imagination, hoaxes? Well, this is one thing I try to do with the book. I say in the introduction that I'm not going to bore you with arguments about witness misperception, where somebody might have seen something in in bad viewing conditions and misinterpreted the stimulus. I'm going to talk about stories where either the witness is telling the truth or he's lying, and there's going to be nothing in between. And the last section of the book, which is called Fables, deals with stories of things that clearly are hoaxes, that there's no ambiguity about them. And um, some things are demonstrably impossible or, or demonstrably false because we know with certainty that the witness was lying about what he or she claimed to experience. You know, these include things like the Cottingley Ferry photographs, one of the most notorious hoaxes in the history of photography, and the tradition of, of stomach snakes, where it was once widely believed that stomachs could live inside your gastrointestinal system without your knowing it, and they would cause you all kinds of health problems and pain and discomfort. But eventually, if the snake eventually didn't kill you because of what it was doing to your health, it would be discharged, ejected from the body through you know, defecation or vomiting or, or something else. You'd be, they'd be operating on you and find a snake curled inside you. So it wouldn't be like the snake that you insert inside your body in the TV series Stargate SG-1? <laughs> I'm not familiar with that show. But, yeah, the gold. But in my research, I came upon all kinds of uh, 19th century newspaper accounts printed as true, claiming as it happened to various individuals around the country. And there is a centuries-old tradition all over the world of, of stomach snakes. And these stories are quite vivid and uh, really horrifying, even nauseating, and, and particularly to those of us who uh, are afraid of snakes anyway. <laughs> But I collected a bunch of them and, 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 and relate them in the book about what these stories were like and how this tradition developed and why it couldn't possibly be true on any level. I think that in a few cases, you know, there may have been intentional uh, misunderstanding. For example, I think that some people may have had tapeworms or things like that that are known. Yeah, I was going to mention that we do know that uh, tapeworms are actually used by women, I think, in the Victoria uh, age uh, as weight loss. Uh, it's like dieting aids. <laughs> I'd lose a lot of weight if I had one of those around, I'll tell you. I, I once saw a dog passing one. That was a, an unfortunately memorable sight. <laughs> oh, jeez. Poor thing. Well, you know how they used to get them out? Once the woman said, I, want, I don't want this tapeworm anymore, they, you know, they grow quite, uh, quite long, actually. They're yes, many feet this long. one was quite, quite dramatic. They, they t- take warm milk in a bowl and coax it out by, by the person breathing the warm milk, and it would draw the tapeworm up. Yeah, that sounds like some of the stomach steak stories, so maybe that's the inspiration. <laughs> Remember, ladies and gentlemen, that we understand you might be having dinner when you hear this show. So let's just keep that under consideration. Well, the story was that if you were, if you drank from a stream out in the country or you had slept out under the stars and had your mouth open, that was how the snake could sneak into your, into your, through your mouth into your system. And these stories are reported quite matter-of-factly in, in some of these old newspapers. 
but they're not true. They just couldn't possibly be true. There's no way that that this could happen. It's just physiologically impossible. And that's why I reject the stories, not because they're fantastic stories, but because they're just physiologically impossible. Well, we had quite a story here uh, about a week or so ago, uh, right here in Mesa, uh, which is you know just east of, of Phoenix. They found uh, in a suburban neighborhood a 15-foot rattlesnake that weighed what was it, 170 pounds or something? It was huge. I I, I don't. I think it may be a, possibly a record for a rattlesnake. That's um, really fantastic. Yeah. That yeah. There was there was photographs of it. I mean, wow. It was huge, huge. Oh boy, I would not. And and people are wondering what happened to Fluffy, their little poodle, or maybe their cats or something. That yeah. thing could actually uh, probably eat a, an infant if it wanted to. How was it found? I hadn't heard this story. Um, yeah, it was found, I think, inside a culvert uh, near, near a golf course, if I remember correctly. And uh, I guess somebody saw it go in there. They called animal control, and sure enough, they, they were able to capture it. And there's a couple of photographs that were published of them holding it up by the you know, a noose around its neck and holding it up as high as they can, and the thing's 15 feet long. That's wow. a big rattlesnake. That is a big one. Had two and a half inch uh, fangs. Wow, I didn't even know that was possible. Yeah, yeah, they they do get big, but that's that's I pretty weird. I thought they got about like seven or eight feet at the maximum length. Yeah, I I always thought yeah maybe ten, but uh, they estimated this thing was probably over twenty years old. It, when yeah. it rattled, I bet you it had had a rattle that's, that could uh, you could probably hear several blocks away. Yeah, oh, that's incredible. Yeah. You don't want to be swallowing that. <laughs> well, <laughs> there you go. Oh, well, as I said, this is not an episode for those who are having lunch. We have so many subjects to talk about. Let's just go through a few of them here. Now, I want to ask you, though, before we get back to the book, did you get a chance to read this title about Aztec from Scott Ramsey? Yes. Okay. Briefly. And I guess you're going to be brief about this. What was your take on it? <laughs> I have a quite a long essay review, which will be appearing in the Journal of Scientific Exploration, which will be appearing sometime this, later this year. But I read the book very carefully. In fact, I read it about three times, and um, I did a lot of research. And um, it's, I just don't believe any of it. And I think that it's really... Uh, uh, the most charitable thing that I could think to say about it is that it's unconvincingly argued. And there's a lot more I have to say about it in the review that I wrote. Well, maybe we could ask you just to spend maybe in our next segment another minute or two going into the areas where you had objections. Now, for your information, we did have Kevin Randall on the Paracast a few weeks ago, and we asked him the same question. And he had a blog entry on the subject, and he indicated where he felt the evidence came up short. And I think very much of it concerns the lack of direct witnesses and the lack of confirmation of so-called direct witnesses that they were even there when the event may have occurred. We have a lot more to talk about with Jerome Clark, with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. In this unpredictable world, disaster can strike anyone. That's why an essential part of any emergency survival plan must be stove in a can. When power goes out and gas lines are down, the portable, safe, easy-to-use stove in a can cooks food up to four hours and boils water in as little as five minutes. Stove in a can comes with everything you need. The stove, fuel, even waterproof matches, all in a compact, durable, heavy-duty container. Plus, the all-natural, non-explosive, 100% waterproof fuel source can be stored indefinitely. Say goodbye to the hassle and danger of propane, lighter fluid, or gas. Stock up now and protect your family with Stove in a Can, starting out at $29.99. Special bundle offers now available with a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Order yours today at StoveInACan.com. That's StoveInACan.com. Welcome back to the Paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Jerome Clark. His third edition of Unexplained is available right now. But we took a segue to talk about the book from Scott and Suzanne Ramsey with some help from Frank Warren and others about Aztec. And I mentioned the one thing where there's a lot of concern, the lack of direct witnesses. What is your take? Yes, I think also the the authors play rather fast and loose with the testimony. I think the testimony, what there is, which isn't a lot, is um, sort of massage to validate the narrative that the Ramses are promoting namely that there was a there was a crash near Aztec, New Mexico in, in nineteen forty eight. And when you read the book with any degree of critical intelligence, you see there just isn't a case. You know, this is one thing I've had a lot over the lo- course of a lifetime reading this kind of literature there's a whole genre of stuff that makes a whole lot of very little. And the author will make great claims for the strength of his argument when, in fact, the argument is is weak to non-existent. And this was an example of this. It seemed to me that 
that the Ramseys came into this determined to make a case. And I'm not accusing them of being deliberately dishonest. They may have just wanted so much for this to be true that they kind of persuaded themselves. But as one who has no skin in the game, I, I just found it just really, really unconvincing. And Kevin Randall, whom you just mentioned, was really helpful to me. Kevin and I were exchanging notes. And he provided some materials to me as I was writing this really kind of in-depth examination of why the book doesn't work and why there is no reason for anybody to think that there was a UFO crash in Aztec in 1948 or any other time. Now, the other case to compare, Roswell. How does the Roswell case stand? And for those of us who have not discussed it that much with you and a lot of listeners haven't heard it, with the Roswell case, what do you think stands for it and against it, fairly briefly? Well, I think that what stands for Roswell is is a fairly impressive body of interlocking testimony that something really extraordinary and not a weather balloon uh, happened. And that is really intriguing to me. In fact, this past weekend, I spent some time with Don Schmidt, who's one of the leading Roswell investigators who's been at it for about 25 years. Kevin Randall, obviously, is another experienced investigator. And I find all this really intriguing. It keeps my mind open. On the other side, what makes me skeptical is that if something like this happened, it would leave a big footprint in history. The history of the world after World War II would be very different. There would be all kinds of fallout in terms of... Um, you know, technological development, international relations, history of the Cold War would be different because the U.S. government would have had access to, you know, some kind of extraordinary technology which could have, you know, been used in in weapons development and, and so on. That's the argument I make against Colonel Corso also. Yes. That he was the bag man for the government to bring... ET technology into private industry, he stuck with the low-hanging fruit and didn't go very far. Yeah. One of my major interests in life is, is history. I read an enormous amount of history. I've read a lot of you know, post-war history. Looking all the time for any evidence that some kind of magical advanced technology was dropped into this history, and there is zero evidence to that effect. It just Bigger's reason to believe that extraterrestrial technology could have been recovered and vanished without any trace of subsequent history. On the yeah. other hand, since I have a lot of respect for Kevin Randall and Don Schmidt and some of these people who have spent a lot of time at this, there is a genuine mystery there. And uh, so I just basically sit back and presume that nothing happened while keeping my mind open for subsequent developments. There's no question that there's a lot of interesting and intriguing material associated with the Roswell incident, but that is not the case with the Aztec. With Roswell, nobody disputes that something happened. With Aztec, there's no evidence of any consequence that anything happened. We see the distinction. Now, the one thing I want to ask you, of course, about alien technology, even if they recovered a spaceship, from Roswell, New Mexico, there's no guarantee that we'd be able to reverse engineer the technology or we'd even understand it. I mean, just take your iPhone and bring it back 100 years and let them figure it out. Well, I hear that argument, of course, and I'm not saying that it's without merit, but it seems to me that 
it would have been possible by now to have learned enough of it so that there would be some trace of it in the history of subsequent technology, and there just isn't. So that seems to argue against Roswell, other than maybe you have some kind of crash of maybe a test aircraft. Well, there's no evidence for that either. I mean, there's evidence that something happened that is yet to be fully accounted for. And a number of people, an impressive number of people who were involved in this, believe that they were dealing with the crash of an extraterrestrial craft with bodies. And if you take the argument and just look solely at this testimony of people who seemed to be quite sincere and were genuinely startled and upset and frightened, you know, then you've got the case for a spaceship crash in Roswell. But it doesn't happen in that vacuum. It had to have happened within history. So that's the paradox, the conundrum that those of us who are interested in this have to deal with. And so basically, I just feel comfortable with being agnostic about it. I don't know what happened. I don't think anything has been proved one way or another, and we'll just have to stand by for further developments. And there are further developments which will be released and publicized in time. Roswell is not a static story. You say further developments. You're hinting at something here, Jerry. Yes, there are coming developments. And it's not for me to say what they are, but the people who are doing that research will be coming forward with new and interesting developments in in the future. So, so it's not a static story. Are you referring to uh, to uh, Kevin's new uh, effort with Anthony Bregalia and uh, uh, I think Dave Rudiak? Uh, there's a number of people th- that now have been dubbed the Dream Team. Are, are you talking about their effort or something else? I'm just not going to say much more. Inquiring minds want to know. I don't want to sound mysterious. It's just that, you know, um, there are new developments from on various fronts. Well, it's the case that just won't go away. I have a question here that I, th- I think uh, would be appropriate to ask uh, at this juncture, uh, talking about the Ramses and the Aztec book. This comes from uh, Century, who's been a poster at forum.theparacast.com for about a year and a half now. Uh, very, uh, he's a very diligent poster as well. And he says, Jerry, a certain amount of dramatic license is expected in retelling a paranormal event, but some writers go too far. At what point does a dramatic portrayal become fiction? Now, of course, uh, several names come to mind, John Keel being one of them. Uh, Gray, Bark- Gray, Gray Barker. Gray Barker, yeah. Yeah, of course. So give us your rule of thumb about that. Uh, where, where do the facts leave off and fiction begin? Well, when you start making stuff up, you know, when the when the reporter starts making stuff up, obviously, and and John Keel and um, Gray Barker are two very good examples of that. I think that that Keel was, in many ways, in the grips of certain very strong beliefs that caused him to fool himself, and and made him a little crazy. Whereas I think that Gray Barker was always entirely sane, always knew exactly what he was doing. And um, I think that... If Some want to believe the reverse. That, <laughs> but we'll get into more of this in a moment. We have Jerome Clark joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. 
Hey, neighbors, you've seen all those crazy, wacky products on TV. The perfect tortilla, easy covers, hot booties, furniture fix, petty spin, and more. Where do you find all that stuff? You go to asseenontv.com because this is the one-stop source for all of these TV goods advertised. Find all your favorites as seen on TV. Check them out asseenontv.com. And by the way, save 10%. Here's what you do. Use the code SCENE1, S-E-E-N number 1, SCENE1. Go to asseenontv.com to order. Save 10%. Purchase this summer's hottest As Seen on TV items. Save 10%. Or call 1-866-277-3366. 1-866-277-3366. The code Scene one to save 10%. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. Alex Jones here with a great way to beat the blackouts, get off the grid, and generate your own supply of electrical power. Folks, with what's been going on in this country, I don't have to tell you about the power grid and just how vulnerable it is. That's in the mainstream news every day. Millions of people have lost their power in the last few weeks because of dangerous storms and killer heat that's pushing the grid beyond its capacity. I've always said that every family needs to be ready for blackouts. And if you don't have a backup system in place, I've got a great opportunity for you. Right now, our good friends at Solutions from Science are offering huge savings on their best-selling power hub unit. In fact, I think it's the best deal I've ever seen them make. It's literally thousands of dollars in savings. Remember, these backup systems don't need gas because they're solar-powered. That means there's no dangerous fumes and no noise. InfoWars listeners can get all the details at BeatTheBlackouts.com. That's BeatTheBlackouts.com. My name is Leslie, and I've had depression since I was a child. After being on Prozac for 20 years, I got onto the One World Way, and my need for Prozac was reduced by 50% within a few months. Now, after less than one year, I am completely off of Prozac. I learned that mercury is a toxin that causes brain damage and depression. By taking One World Way, I know that I've detoxified my brain of mercury and excess glutamate, and I'm now functioning with this dramatic improvement in my mood. The power to change your life lies, in part, in the power you have to change your body's chemistry. Through diet and supplementation, you have the power to change your body's chemistry to support dramatic improvements in health and happiness. Nature has been, and always will be, mankind's first and only pharmacy to choose from. Change your chemistry and change your life with One World Way. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit oneworldway.com that's oneworld w-h-e-y dot com
We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. With Gene and Chris, we talk to Jerome Clark, starting to ask your questions from forum.theparacast.com, and we've got a bunch. And let's go back to what you said about Gray Barker and John Keel. So Barker knew when he was being fast and loose with the facts, that was part of his thing. But you were saying that Keel got caught up in events? Yeah, I think that Keel was essentially a demonologist who had this kind of belief that all these strange phenomena, UFOs and everything else, were caused by you know, hostile supernatural entities that have been traditionally known as demons, and Keel himself would acknowledge that connection. But he began to believe because of the particularly strange psychological structure of John Keel that he be, it was very hard for him to separate his own beliefs from what was quote-unquote really happening. And uh, so he would see things and even write things that really weren't there, but he believed they were there because they had to be there. You know, it's really a question of John Keel's not the only human being who suffered from this, but it's really believing your own BS. And Keel was just self-deluded in many ways. It's a bit of an indictment. <laughs> well, I, I think that people who knew John or read his work carefully yeah. would agree with that. I don't think that that's a particularly radical charge. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Um, we've got a whole bunch of questions here, Jerry. I'd, I'd love to, to throw a few at you. I'm in the midst right now of, of lining up some investigators who have been spending years working on the Sherman Ranch case up in Utah that uh, George Knapp and Colm Kelleher uh, addressed in their book, Hunt for the Skinwalker. And uh, Polterwurst, who's, uh, again, a, a fairly longtime poster at, at forum.theparacast.com, has quite a list of questions here, but one of them uh, he asks about your knowledge about that case. In the book Hunt for the Skinwalker, which I still try to wrap my mind around, giant bulletproof wolves are described. Did you personally speak with any of the people involved? Were these animals also seen by the scientists? Uh, why are the scientists still mostly not talking openly about what they experienced up there? How much have you looked into that case? All I know is what I read. I read the book, which I thought was very interesting. Um, The only thing I can contribute to this is that in the course of my archival research, I did come upon a late 19th century report, and unfortunately I don't have the details in my head, of a giant kind of uh, supernatural wolf, which reminded me very much of what figures in the first chapter of Hunt for the Skinwalker. And I immediately made that connection. In fact, I think that I even sent an email to George Knapp about it, but I just don't remember the details. But it was from a clipping from probably about the 1880s describing a whole bunch of strange events focused on one place. And one of the things mentioned was this large wolf-like animal that nobody could identify and whose behavior was very strange. So there may be some precedent for reports like that. Not talking about werewolves. 
Oh, we're talking about werewolves. Well, that's that's Dogman. That's a whole different thing that's supposedly gone on up there with the with the bipedal uh, lycanthrop. How do you say that? Was seen uh, jumping to rooftop, to rooftop in the town of, of Fort Duchesne in front of witnesses, including law enforcement. And then another case that I think might have been mentioned in Hunt, Hunt for the Skinwalker, where they saw one of these bipedal sort of dogmen leaning up against a tree smoking a cigarette. I just love that that little <laughs> detail. Now that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. It's a pretty strange uh, set of events. We're going to have a show, uh, as I mentioned earlier, about this coming up here soon. You might want to tune in to listen to that. We uh, we might have a couple of special guests that will be revealed publicly for the first time. He's not even telling me. Yeah. Gene doesn't know yet. I was going to talk to him about it later. <laughs> wow. That sounds great. I'll look forward to that. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a roundtable with a number of uh, participants. Under deep NDA. Yeah. Under what? Under deep NDA, non-disclosure. Yeah, non-disclosure. Well, one person may be anonymous, uh, depending on who we get. Uh, we're working on it. It's going to be a really good show. I'm looking forward to it. We have to run their voice through a mixing machine? I don't think so. I just don't ask his name. Uh, we had an abductee on the PowerCast once where we called him Doug, but we never revealed his real name. Was he from Dougway? <laughs> Do you hear the sound of silence? Yeah. <laughs> You want to move into another question, Chris? Sure. Yeah, we've got a bunch here. Okay, this is uh, coming from uh, one of our newer uh, forum members, uh, Kanakaris. And uh, he says, Magic wish time. Of all the mysteries you've investigated, explored, debunked, etc., which one would you be willing to sacrifice all others for in order to find out the complete truth of its existence or non-existence? And he gives the example, you would never know the true history, purpose, uh, nature, or goal of UFOs, but would receive all complete information about Bigfoot, proof of its existence or non-existence based on science and physical evidence beyond a shadow of a doubt. Which one... Would you want to know the answer to sacrificing all the others? Now, that's an excellent question. It, it is. And as it happens, just this past weekend, I addressed that subject. I was in Kalamazoo, Michigan, at Mike Swords' house for a gathering of the of KUFO's personnel and officers. We hadn't met in years, and we got together, and we were talking about everything. And I made the point that if I had to give up all else, there was only one thing left that I could have. It would be airships. I have been studying reports of mystery airships from the late 19th century, early 20th century, since the 1960s, and they still intrigue and fascinate and engage me, and I would love to know what that, that was all about. So, so where do you lean, uh, being probably one of our most knowledgeable experts on that subject? Uh, which, which direction do you lean with that? Well, I think these, the, the, these reports were, at their core, valid. There were many, obviously, sightings of Venus. There were stories that were just made up out of a whole cloth. But there was a phenomenon where people were seeing dirigible-like objects with sometimes extraordinary performance characteristics, but there were no dirigibles in the United States, and certainly not in that kind of quantity in the 1890s and before. We're, we're tracing this phenomenon slowly back to at least the 1850s, and it was an international phenomenon by the early part of the 20th century. There were settings in New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, Mexico, and it's very puzzling. There's no question 
that people were seeing things that looked like dirigibles, where there were no dirigibles. And these things apparently even landed on occasion, and people talked with their crews who passed themselves off as ordinary Americans. They claimed to be inventors. We know they weren't. And yet some of these contact close encounter cases, which we could easily dismiss as sheer fantasy, some of them seem genuinely puzzling, involving people whose sincerity doesn't seem to be open to question. And I've done some research into the background of some of these people, and they certainly don't look like hoaxers and jokers. We'll go into more of this in a moment with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com if you owe the IRS back taxes, listen carefully. Sweeping changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all. And now, thanks to Dan Pillow, you can get the tax help you need to end your tax nightmare. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I've helped thousands of people reduce or eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. With the IRS's new policies, it's easier than ever to put your tax debt behind you once and for all. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. Call 800-346-6829. Learn how I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. Or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. The worst drought in 50 years continues. And the first six months of 2012 marks the hottest half year on record. 78% of the Midwest Corn Belt is in drought conditions. Not only corn, but soy, alfalfa, fruits, vegetables, and wheat are all impacted, raising prices. The cost to feed livestock is forcing farmers and ranchers out of business, blowing up your food prices. The only strategy to counter this is to freeze your food cost at today's prices by getting your own supply of foods from eFoods Direct now. As the price of raw ingredients increases, eFoods will have to raise prices too. Now is the time to get your supply. I recently increased my supply from eFoods Direct because we have all known this was coming. You know about their delicious long-term storable foods. The fact is you can eat at any time to save money today. And because it stores for 25 years, you're locking in today's prices and avoiding the rising food cost. Don't wait. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. You can bet your life on eFoods Direct. 
What do you do when your propane runs out and you don't have a large amount of wood for cooking? That's when you need a Grover Rocket Stove from StockStorage.com. The Grover Rocket Stove starts easily with any combustible material like junk mail, small twigs, leaves, weeds, or dry sagebrush. Then just add a small amount of kindling wood and you'll be cooking entire meals in minutes. Grover Rocket Stoves are made right here in the USA and are built to last a lifetime using heavy-duty thick-gauge steel and are painted with high-temp paint to withstand heat. Go to StockStorage.com and see three great Grover Rocket Stoves, stainless steel, heavy-duty, or our original Grover Rocket Stove for only $135 and get free shipping to the lower 48. For phone orders, call 801-361-6984 or go to StockStorage.com. That's 801-361-6984 or StockStorage.com. The original Grover Rocket Stove Minimal Wood Use Cooking Stoves, available exclusively from StockStorage.com. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. We have Jerome Clark. His book, Unexplained, third edition is out now. And if you read the first two, there are changes, new material, lots more. We were talking about the great airship mystery that we all relate to 1897, but extended beyond that. And before. There's a really good case from 1880 from uh, Galisteo, New Mexico, that was seen by a town having a picnic. I found what may be the only known report from Colorado, uh, much by accident, in a small uh, Buena Vista newspaper talking about a sighting of the airship in, I think, 1896 over Grand Junction, Colorado. I agree with you, Jerry. These were real events. Uh, Of course, we do have the Alexander Hamilton hoax. We have the Aurora, Texas, uh, the very questionable case there. And we do have some... uh, (laughs) Some very uh, slow news days, and, and some of the reporters out there in newspaper land, uh, I think, coming up with some pretty interesting uh, tongue-in-cheek accounts. But You know, what's interesting now is now it's always about a political story. They make up something, and they go with it, not so much about strange creatures. But today it's about politics. Maybe politicians are the strange creatures of the yeah. 21st century. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of uh, use of the airship imagery to tell politically-themed jokes in the press of the period, and airships were kind of woven into the texture of popular humor and culture. But for a while, you know, probably between November 1896 and May 1897, there apparently was a great wave of of real sightings, of real structured objects that looked like big dirigibles. And when the occupants were observed or even communicated with, They seem to be normal human beings, normal American human beings, but they weren't. It's just uh, the whole thing is just almost the far edge of the strangeness scale. All you can conclude is that, yes, people believe these things were happening. Some of these sightings and encounters are vivid and deeply strange, but it's really hard to get beyond that. It's like almost like another reality was impinging on the reality of late 1890s America. And they were seeing some alternative vision of aviation history. It's something that seems like the substance of a science fiction. Right. Like some sort of parallel timeline or something. Yes, exactly. That last question, by the way, was asked by Isaiah Bradford, who's a a fairly new addition to our forum family. I have another uh, question here. This one is by Kanakaris, and this kind of dovetails nicely with the subject of the Great Airship Wave. 
And he says all sightings of aliens suggest a humanoid appearance. Don't you think this must mean that they have some origin or connection with the Earth? Now, I'm, I take exception with all sightings of aliens or humanoid in appearance. That's not, that's not true. A, a vast majority of them are. But he, he raises a good point. Do you think that there's a, a, a connection, some sort of ultra-terrestrial, crypto-terrestrial, or, or some sort of closed system explanation for these beings? Or do you, do you think that the humanoid appearance is something that we're going to find all throughout the galaxy? Yes, to the latter question. Yes, that, that's not a problem for the extraterrestrial hypothesis. The whole notion of parallel evolution that's been written about both in the ETI literature and in the more scientifically based UFO literature. For example, by my friend Mike Swords at whose place I was staying last weekend in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Mike is a retired environmental science professor from Western Michigan University, and he's written at length using you know, respectable scientific literature and speculation about why it is likely that throughout the galaxy, a t- civilization, an alien civilization that could build the kind of technology that would take its representatives here is likely to have a humanoid appearance. There are all kinds of reasons why you would have to have uh, a humanoid kind of form to create technology, to manipulate tools, and so on. Now, that's I, uh, that's just not a good argument against the extraterrestrial hypothesis. I think it's a kind of a naive one. I could understand on some superficial level why people might come to it, but it isn't. You know, the the validity of the ETH is going to have to be argued, debated on other grounds. Yeah, I, I agree uh, somewhat uh, with that. With, that, with your opinion on that, uh, I do think that the humanoid form would be, uh, I, I think, we're going to find it eventually out there. Uh, there's no question about it. Whether they're visiting us from elsewhere right now, I, I think, is still an open question, at least in my mind. I've got a, a, about nine or ten questions from uh, Polterwurst, who's one of our more active posters at the forum uh, at theparacast.com. Let's start out with uh, a couple that deal with strange creatures in cryptozoology. Is there any possibility that these reports might might be just misinterpretations or exaggerations of encounters with normal wildlife? What would be your strongest case or cases speaking against this skeptical explanation? Well, simply what people describe. I mean, you know, if you have a sighting where viewing conditions are uncertain and there are other kinds of elements that would get in the way of good observation, yes, that's where you find your mistakes. When you have somebody seeing something in very good viewing conditions at some kind of reasonably close range, chances are that the explanation, you have two explanations. One is that the person really did see a really unusual creature, or the person just made the story up. There doesn't seem to be much ambiguity there. I think that if all of our quote-unquote evidence involved ambiguous sightings by excitable persons, we wouldn't be talking about this. There would be no controversy. It would just be clearly that these are a bunch of mistakes. But the the mistake hypothesis just simply doesn't begin to deal with a great body of testimony. We're going to have to look elsewhere. For yeah, there's, the volume of reports would almost negate that. Yeah. Um, judging from the number of Bigfoot-type reports, uh, there must have been some uh, cited by scientists, too. 
uh, Poltworth asks, are there official Bigfoot sighting reports by scientists? Has there ever been at least one, he says, unofficial or unofficial effort by scientists to look into this? Uh, he gave the example of the Orange Pendak expedition to Sumatra. And uh, he says he's not new to the he's new to these fields and uh, he's not an American so he's kind of fishing for some uh, for some <laughs> some education here. Uh, do, do you know of any any uh, scientists that have actually uh, been yeah. involved personally in a Bigfoot sighting report? Well, the scientific investigation of the Sasquatch phenomenon, and by that I'm referring specifically to the creature. Creatures reported in the Pacific Northwest of the United States and Canada. There is a great body of scientific evidence investigated and documented by physical anthropologists and other specialists. Uh, one of the leading, living, maybe the leading living scientific authority investigator of the Sasquatch phenomena, Jeff Meldrum, was a physical anthropologist at Idaho State University who has written several very good books, deeply uh, grounded scientifically. There are all kinds of scientists. For example, Jane Goodall, who's one of the most famous physical anthropologists in the world, who are sympathetically interested in the Sasquatch phenomenon, who have participated in one way or another in, in field expeditions or laboratory analyses of hair and footprints and other things. Yeah, the University of Washington, I think, has mounted uh, several uh, expeditions and has worked with uh, worked with Rene Dehedron and others. Uh, now, you're speaking of uh, what's uh, the uh, gentleman's name in Idaho? Is it what uh, Jeff Melman or Jeff Meldrum? Meldrum, right? Yeah. He's supposedly doing a DNA study, isn't he? Isn't he involved in that? Yes, and, and, have... and he and other scientists. Yeah. Meldrum is the most visible living scientist, but there are others who are also involved quietly or in secondary roles. But there is a body of rather difficult to dismiss physical evidence for the existence of the Sasquatch. In fact, I am certain that if there is a breakthrough in any of these mystery, controversial claims that we're dealing with, the whole range of things, the breakthrough is going to come with Sasquatch. I'll tell you what, we'll get into Sasquatch about the breakthrough and other questions from the listeners. We have Jerome Clark with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. 
the site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. What's safer and cheaper than prescription drugs? Glad you asked. The answer is Renovation Teas. Herbal remedies are much safer and much cheaper than prescription drugs. Taste great, and most importantly, herbal teas are effective and non-addictive. Renovation Tea is especially unique, and here's why. We spent years researching herbs and their beneficial properties. Renovation Teas uses only 100% organic, fair trade herbs. Our teas are blended towards specific ailments and health conditions, such as diabetes, blood pressure, anxiety, libido, detox, and much more. All Renovation Teas are formulated and hand-filled in Arkansas. Take care of yourself naturally, the way Mother Nature intended. Order Renovation Teas at RenovationTea.com or call 870-784-3121. That's 870-784-3121. Renovation Teas. Renovate your health one bag at a time. That's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick. That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later, and the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Every day, nearly 3,000 families enter into foreclosure and face losing their home. If you're currently behind on your mortgage, you can still avoid foreclosure. You can save your home, but you need to act now. We're Allied State Foreclosure Services. We're experts in saving homes from foreclosure. With just one phone call to us, you can stop the foreclosure process, lower your monthly mortgage payments, and save your home. Call now. The call is free with no obligation. 1-800-597-8843. Call us if you've been threatened with foreclosure, denied loan modification, or missed a payment on your mortgage. If you've been a victim of a predatory loan or are upside down on your mortgage, even if you've lost your job and you're worried about losing your home, don't wait. Call us now and let us help you save your home. You've worked hard to build a life with your family. Let us help you keep your home. Call now before it's too late. 1-800-597-8843. 1-800-597-8843. 1-800-597-8843. Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. With Jerome Clark, with Gene and Chris, back on the Paracast. 
the book from Jerome Clark is unexplained, and UFOs are just a small part of the picture. Now, Chris was discussing some of the questions from our audience. You can post your own questions, by the way. Go to forum.theparacast.com, and we always have a place called the Question Bank, and when we have a guest scheduled far enough in advance to make a difference, we have you post them. Let's continue with the questions and the follow-up, Chris. Yeah, uh, it, it, there's a, quite a list of questions here from Polterwurst, and uh, he's he's really thought these out, I think, fairly well. Um, have you ever thought, uh, Jerome, that about the possibility that at least some UFO or creature sightings may be caused by what's called spirits or ghosts in mythology, i.e. disincarnate consciousness or non-corporeal entities? Uh, some that make any sense to you? Do, do you think that there's any uh, possible connection in some cases? Nothing, nothing leaps to mind. Um, I think that sometimes when observers are living in some kind of non-technological society and they see something that we would call a UFO and it would look to us like a, a piloted machine, but they don't really have that kind of vocabulary or that sense of technology that sometimes these things get filtered through you know, supernatural belief traditions. And so they might call these things ghosts, but I don't think that really describes, you know, the UFO phenomenon even on, on any level. Yeah, so apples and oranges basically is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Well, he asked a question here, again, going back to the Skinwalker Ranch case. He says that some of the anomalies were reminiscent of poltergeist or haunting phenomenon. Did you ever investigate a case where polter-like events allegedly happened, and did you experience or see something like that yourself, perhaps while you were investigating some other case? He gives the example of a UFO or a cryptid case. No, I haven't. I haven't seen that. I, I think that uh, the poltergeist is really a discrete phenomenon that isn't related to much else, that it has its own kind of lawfulness. And um, every once in a while, in, in some of the more unusual poltergeist cases, people report seeing an apparition or something. But I think generally poltergeists are probably not even hauntings in the sense of like a ghost reported to be in a house and living in a house and encountered in a house. I think poltergeist is, is something really distinctive. I'm hardly an authority on it, but I was really struck when I have studied anomalies over history, that, that the poltergeist is one that stays pretty much true to form for many centuries. I think that the poltergeist has to be studied and, and yeah. understood on its own. But just as, a, as a, an aside here, uh, Tom Adams, who was a, a longtime investigator uh, based out of Paris, Texas, who went to the San Luis Valley where I investigated for many years, um, quite a number of times in the early 70s. And at one point, right during a pretty uh, pretty intense UFO sighting wave, they were staying in Alamosa, a small town in the center of the valley, in a trailer that belonged to one of the witnesses of these UFO events. And they reported uh, some very uh, impressive poltergeist activity in the trailer one night after they had gotten back from uh, investigating some recent sighting events. Do you think, this is my own question here, do you think that there's some sort of energetic property, perhaps, in a location that would allow for um, cross-discipline type uh, phenomena to occur? Like if we have UFO sightings, do you think it's more likely that we're going to see Bigfoot or, or have a haunted, a haunted site go active or have poltergeist type events? Do you think there's any sort of correlation there? 
You know, the honest answer is I don't know. And I have a strong belief that I'm not going to tell other people what they experienced. And um, there are a lot of things out there, and, and some of it really depends on what questions you ask. You know, anybody who goes in to investigate some strange experience, no matter how well-intentioned, comes in there with certain kinds of predetermined ideas, including ideas about what questions should I ask, what's important, what am I looking for? I mean, you could possibly not do that. So just by the nature of the questions you ask, you get certain answers and you don't get others. And also, you don't know, even if you ask every conceivable question, get every conceivable answer, if these things are connected. I'm reminded of a line in a Bob Dylan song, take what you have gathered from coincidence. You know, never yeah. downplay the, the role of coincidence. Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's absolutely imperative to factor in synchronicities and coincidences into any investigative process. That's one of my major rules of thumb that I try to impart to uh, up-and-coming investigators. Well, what about balls of light? Uh, Polterworth asked a very good question here. They make up a big part of UFO sightings, and skeptics say they might be natural phenomenon like earthquake lights or ball lightning. Uh, Michael Persinger, for instance, seems to think that electromagnetic fields accompanying these phenomenon might even be the cause of induced delusions like seeing little grades or structured craft. But again, what would your strongest cases be against that as an explanation? Well, it's this is a complicated question. This gets back to my idea of experience anomaly. So experience anomaly well, has a model. It may be a model that of something that really exists in in nature, in technology, or it may be something purely imaginary. With balls of light, we start with ball lightning, and ball lightning is a real, if not well understood phenomenon of nature, which most meteorologists and physicists accept as real, as, as something that does exist in nature. But you start with that, and then you move into the experience anomaly correlates. In other words, extraordinary phenomena that take on the coloration of something that exists either in nature or in the cultural imagination. And so ghost lights are sort of the extraordinary correlate to the natural phenomenon of ball lightning. And one thing that ghost lights have in common often is an intelligence and an, or at least an intentionality that really strikes witnesses. And whereas ball lightning lasts a few seconds and, and it often departs with a dramatic explosion Ghost lights, mystery lights, don't do that. They can last for some period of time. They can even interact with witnesses. And witnesses can see them up close without being feeling the sense of danger that people who are too close to ball lightning feel with good reason. And um, ghost lights show up in all kinds of different contexts. And, uh, and sometimes case, they're really predictable, too, like the Marfa lights, uh, for instance, are fairly predictable. Sometimes they seem bound to some particular place, although then you get into all kinds of controversies, uh, you know, unanswered questions about, you know, atmospheric phenomena. Are these things, you know, reflections of lights 
with conventional sources, and that discussion goes on endlessly. So if you're talking about something like the Brown Mountain Lights or the Marfa Lights or something like that, it's really hard to get a fix on this. But ghost lights that appear, you know, at, at random or in some context where they're seen for a period of time and then no longer seen, you're dealing with things that are very hard to explain and that, that fascinated uh, students of folklore for a long time. If you go into folklore journals, you find a lot of very interesting writing about people's experiences of ghost lights. Right. That's true. They've been reported, uh, you know, all throughout history, and some uh, in, in in fairly celebrated uh, waves of them, where where these lights would be seen pretty fairly regularly. Um, in in my book, I explain there's a fairly comprehensive chapter. On this yeah, book. there is. Yeah, and there's some real good cases in there too. I, I must add. Well, what about Persinger's idea that the electromagnetic fields may cause induced delusions? Uh, that's that's one uh, aspect of the question I find uh, fairly interesting. Do you think that the human mind can confabulate uh, accidentally um, details of experiences uh, because of uh, the effect of some sort of electromagnetic uh, radiation? You know, I'm inclined to doubt that. That seems to be the kind of a reductionism that some people get into. And I just am skeptical of that. Persinger's ideas don't seem to have gotten much traction even within mainstream psychology or geophysics or whatever. I just don't find that particularly persuasive. And I've talked to scientists who have also studied anomalies and who just simply reject Persinger's claims. I just think that was kind of a sideshow for a while. We're going to do our break with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. The summer specials are on at HHA, Herbal Healer Academy. Current customers know this is the time to save big at HerbalHealer.com. And you customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Right now, Herbal Healer's summer specials include our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale, liquid CalMag vitamin D and organic iodine, CoQ10 with Hawthorne, Colon Enhancer, Super 2, Natural Laxative, our exceptional product, Conixin. 
Memory Power, and Super Male and Femplex, all on sale for summer at HerbalHealer.com. Also get 10% off on the Herbal Healer Academy Survival Course, information that might save your life. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on to our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988. Herbal Healer Academy at HerbalHealer.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Hey neighbors, would you like to work at home and earn a guaranteed 20% commission plus bonuses selling ads and promoting a pair of cult radio shows with a loyal and rapidly growing listener base? Think about working part-time or full-time for The Paracast, The Tech Night Owl Live, and our famous tech blog, TechNightOwl.com. So if you have a background in sales or marketing, and radio experience is a plus, and you're ready to grow your income, please email your resume and references to sales at TheParacast.com. That's sales at TheParacast.com. With Gene and Chris on The Paracast, we have Jerome Clark, and we're having a regular old time here, as opposed to a non-regular old time? Young time. A regular young time. All right. So we're having a regular young time. Okay. Uh, he, uh, Polterwurst, again, is, is the one asking all these questions. And thank you so much uh, for, for your interest in, in our forum and, and in our guest today, uh, Jerome Clark. Uh, he's asking some interesting questions. Here's one that uh, we kind of touched on before, uh, talking about possible agenda that John Keel may have had. But he asks, I intentionally avoided the terms demons because of the more negative connotations Christian mythology has given it. But sometimes I have the impression every uh, <laughs> ghost hunter and hobby paranormalist wants to chalk UFOs, hauntings, etc. up to demonic entities. Why are these all-purpose bad guys still so popular today? And he adds, personally, I like tricksters better. I do too. Yeah. Isn't that all kind of in the eye of the beholder? If it if it's got pointed ears and a forked tail and a bad attitude, well, it's I don't think demonic. you get too many settings of things quite that convenient. But uh, yeah, I think tricksters is a good word. You know, just <laughs> you know, funny things happen, and sometimes you had the feeling that you were on the receiving end of some kind of joke, generally a harmless one. Actually, you know, people, are, these experiences are often frightening to people, understandably so, but they are overwhelmingly harmless, except maybe to your peace of mind. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me, too. I, I The whole demonic thing, uh, Nick Redfern's book, Final Events, uh, was quite interesting. Uh, are you familiar with that uh, book? Uh, I think Ray Bichet I haven't read was... it. I've, I've read some of Nick's Nick Redford's books, but I haven't read that one. Yeah, it's kind of hard to keep up with Nick. He's pretty prolific. Um, he had a source, uh, Ray Boucher, um, I think in Oklahoma, was approached by some secret government group, uh, I guess nicknamed the Collins Elite, that have been following ufology since the Jack Parson days, basically, and they, they, they're convinced that these are demonic entities that are harvesting souls and and that there's this uh, fundamentalist sort of view within this group, within the government, that's, um, I guess, cross-agency. Um, uh, interesting uh, concept, but uh, I think 
kind of got the blinders on a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of uh, phenomenal events out there that are neither positive or negative. There's there's even some that are positive. So it'd be hard to to throw everything into that demonic basket. I would think. Oh, it's it's just a pointless and useless <laughs> exercise. It's just it's, it's just like you throw a name at something and you think you've explained it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of that. In it. I've been accused of that actually. <laughs> <laughs> but that, so you are a basket thrower? No. You know, I have this idea, which I keep referring to, of experience anomalies. And I explain to people that I don't mean this as an explanation. This is simply a description of right. how certain things seem to work. It doesn't tell you what they are. It just tells you how they work and uh, and what their nature is, what their limitations are from which we can infer from long observation of people's experiences of these things. But we don't have explanations. You know, we, we, we can describe these things and put them in categories, but we're not explaining them. Yeah, I, I agree. It's really hard to uh, come to any firm, hard conclusions based on uh, the be- bewildering quality and quantity of, of, of data that we have uh, it's, I believe that some of these things are potentially explainable, and I don't yeah. mean within within you know explain them explained away. I don't mean like that, but I mean they're they're explainable within current knowledge or slightly expanded current knowledge. But the truly mysterious things, the experience anomalies, I think are not only beyond current knowledge; they're almost beyond current vocabulary. Even our vocabulary yeah. fails us when we're trying to talk about them. Yeah, languaging really is an issue, especially when you're out in the field attempting to interview somebody that's had a life-changing event occur to them. Sometimes it's very difficult for them to even come up with the proper languaging to f- really accurately express uh, the event or, or their, you know, the effect of the event on them. And I think that's a very good point. Languaging is, is, is one of those things you don't hear about much in, in investigator manuals. Um, it, it, these events do tend to leave people speechless almost. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's change uh, let's change uh, pace a little bit here. Gog Smacky, one of our more active members at forum.theparacast.com, posted an interesting question about uh, everybody's favorite uh, departed nemesis. Do you think people like Phil Class would have been government, military-sponsored, official disinformation agents? I ask because for supposedly being an intelligent man, some of Class's explanations for UFO sightings bordered on the ludicrous. I can only surmise that often class was expected to use any method at his disposal to debunk certain cases. He did not always use good science, and he would have been aware that other scientists would look down on some of his words as not being worthy of the qualifications he held. What are your feelings about the debunkers out there, uh, a la Phil Class and Rand- James Randi and Penn and Teller? There's a few of them out there that this uh, McGahee character here down in Tucson some of these people, they come off uh, so dismissive that it's pretty obvious that they haven't even looked into a particular case. They're just spouting some sort of company line. Do you think there's some sort of uh, disinformation effort being sponsored? No. No, I think that these individuals are sincerely convinced of what they're saying. And, and yes, all those criticisms of their methods and their logic and so on, there, there's a lot to that. They're there's a lot of faulty logic, and 
closed-mindedness and all these things are, are much in evidence, but one thing that's not in evidence is that they're insincere and they're on somebody, some sinister agency's payroll. I don't believe that for a minute, and there's no evidence of that. I think that when I see some of these characters, I think of the famous definition of a fanatic, who is someone who, once he's lost sight of his goal, redoubles his efforts. Right. Hmm. I think these are just, you know, on the other side, on the pro side, you know, there are really fanatical people. I won't name them, but we can all know who they are. I'll name some for you. <laughs> we are equal opportunity offenders, Chris. Why don't you name a few? Well, there's a lot of folks in the exopolitics movement that uh, I think yes. are a little bit... Um, a little bit overboard and out there. Um, you mean like somebody we had on the show a couple of weeks ago? Well, I think Ed would actually be one of the more conservative types. I'm talking about uh, you know people like uh, Alfred Weber and Michael Sala and David Wilcock. And, and there's a number of people. Most of them have been featured at some point or other in Project Camelot's uh, archives. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, <laughs> Murde that uh, people have to get their hip waders on to wade through out there in this uh, whole morass of a, of a subject. Uh, are you finding yourself, Jerry, becoming a little disillusioned by uh, by non-critical thinking out there in the masses and the way the TV programs are really dumbed down subject matter and and people are buying into it and it's becoming their their belief system or is really adversely coloring their belief system in a very watered-down sort of I don't know, just just ill-informed way. Um, where do you come down on that? Do, do you think the well, media is doing a good job? Well, no, I think the media are doing a terrible job. But but when you ask if I've been disillusioned, I, you know, the, the the premise of your question is wrong because to be disillusioned, I would have to be illusioned at one time. <laughs> oh, boy, I'll tell you what. We've got Jerome Clark, and he's neither illusioned or disillusioned. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Hey, neighbors, you've seen all those crazy, wacky products on TV. The perfect tortilla, easy covers, hot booties, furniture fix, petty spin, and more. Where do you find all that stuff? You go to AsSeenOnTV.com because this is the one-stop source for all of these TV goods advertised. Find all your favorites as seen on TV. Check them out, AsSeenOnTV.com. And by the way, save 10%. Here's what you do. Use the code SCENE1, S-E-E-N number 1, SCENE1. Go to AsSeenOnTV.com to order. Save 10%. Purchase this summer's hottest as-seen-on-TV items. Save 10%. Or call 1-866-277-3366. 1-866-277-3366. The code SCENE1 to save 10%. On the average, Americans work between 45 to 50 years, hoping to build up enough wealth to retire and live out their golden years. Unfortunately, with taxation, the rising cost of food, energy, housing, and medical, many retirees are forced to live below the poverty line. Is this a fly-free enterprise, or is our monetary unit we call the Federal Reserve Note forcing us into perpetual debt, ensuring inflation and higher taxes? 
These questions and more can be answered by reading G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Congressman Ron Paul states it's what every American needs to know about central bank power. A gripping adventure into the secret world of international banking cartel. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I will give a silver dollar from the early 1900s to anyone who purchases this book. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order a copy today. It's critical that the public be made aware of the system. Call and order your copy today at 1-800-686-2237. That's 1-800-686-2237. We've all heard the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover. A wise saying for sure. Now apply that wisdom to nutrition. Don't judge milk by the animal. Camel milk, the best kept health secret ever. See for yourself at camelmilkforsale.com and look for the summer camel milk special. Loaded with health benefits far superior to other milk, camel milk has antibacterial, antiviral, and anti-tumor properties, is rich in B vitamins, and is three times higher in vitamin C than cow's milk, ten times higher in iron. Plus, it contains 52 units of insulin-like proteins per liter, effectively lowering blood sugar levels. Many of our members testified that drinking camel milk reversed diabetes and greatly improved autism. Camel milk comes fresh or frozen from your trusted local family farm, shipped on dry ice to preserve freshness. Go to CamelMilkForSale.com now and look under products and pricing for the summer special with free bonus pints. That's CamelMilkForSale.com. Healthy soils grow healthy plants. So before you plant your survival garden this year, is your soil healthy? Maximize your crisis garden soil with EM1 from Terraganics. EM1 organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant provides healthier gardens and faster, efficient garden composting. EM1 from Terraganics.com quickly improves soil structure by increasing nutrient availability and converting organic matter into soil humus. This improves seed germination and root growth, improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, nutrient value of fruits and vegetables and improves shelf life. And when rain is not in the forecast, no worries. EM1 improves moisture retention in soils, helping reduce drought stress. Just like you prepare all else, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics, life's getting better. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Are we disillusioned or are we all illusions, period? I think jaded and cynical might be more accurate, but... I'm jaded, he's cynical. (laughs) Well, I've been interested in this, and I'm sure, you know, Gene and I have parallel history in this, you know, going back probably in the late 50s. And uh, even when I was a kid and and starting to read UFO books, you know, and and beginning to figure out there was a larger subculture, an international subculture, people interested in these things. And even when I was young, I understood that there was a lot of real nonsense and there were real gullible people out there. Like, yeah. for example, people who believed Georgia Damsky stories about meeting with Venusians. Even when I was 11 or 12 years old, I didn't believe that. Yeah. And so 
as long as I have been in this field, I've seen pretty much the same thing. You know, a minority of intelligent, critical-minded people trying to do the best to understand what's going on, and a lot of silly, gullible people pursuing their own wishful thinking and agendas and so on. So I've never been illusioned about this. I've always seen this, and it just plays out drearily over and over and over again, and that's just the way it is. Like a bad, broken record. One of my favorites was Daniel Fry handing out chunks of ivory soap with the dove feathers or something uh, stuck in them, claiming they were parts of a spaceship, uh, and people taking them and, and, and putting them in places of honor in their their houses and stuff. Uh, well, I remember a guy, and, and Gene will remember it too, uh, Buck Nelson. Oh, yes. Missouri hillbilly who was traveled to Mars and Venus and saw racial segregation there. <laughs> <laughs> and he was selling uh, pieces of uh, hair from a Venusian dog to people who apparently had money but no brains. So basically his claim went to the dogs. Yeah. But there was I another like guy, there was another guy who claimed to have gotten a pancake from E.T. Remember that guy, Joe, Joe Simonson? Simonson? Yeah. Joe Simonson, Eagle River, Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. Although I don't think that Simonson, whatever, I don't know whether that was story was true or not. I mean, it's an odd and interesting story that doesn't really seem to go anywhere. Nobody can prove anything one way or another. But he wasn't like Buck Nelson or Adamski or some of these guys who were clearly, you know, involved in some kind of metaphysical swindle. Yeah. Billy Meyer. Yeah, that sort of thing. Hear that, the Michael Horn? Professional Billy Meyer. Contactees who had, you know, a commercial operation going. Right. Where, where do you come down on the Ed Walters case? Well, you know, I tend to be skeptical. I, I don't. I try to think about Gulf Breeze as seldom as possible. That it wasn't working out the way I understand UFOs work out, you know, where they stand around so you can get a whole bunch of good pictures of them. They're posing. Yeah. Well, I love the famous that shot. That was more like what the contact piece were doing, yeah. classic 50s contact piece, and Billy Meyer, guys like that. Yeah, I love the classic Walter shot of the object uh, hovering over the road in front of him, and there's no reflection of the lights from the object in on his on the hood of his car. That one, uh, I don't know how Bruce McAbee ever signed off on some of those shots, but he did. I don't really understand that, and I have a lot of respect for Bruce, but I don't. Well, he got really paid a lot of money. He got paid a lot of money, Jerry. I don't think I don't think that was why Bruce. Uh, Bruce is, has much integrity. Bruce is a good guy, and he's done a lot of good work. I just he does, don't yeah. understand the conclusions he came to in this particular instance. Well, people sometimes come to conclusions that other people, for some reason, will not accept. I don't think we're all totally logical. So there you go. Well, that well, sounded logical. Yeah, you know, as I always say, I could be wrong. You know, <laughs> and maybe Bruce is right. I don't know that that he's wrong and I'm right. It's just my impression from for many reasons and long experience. In this Smell case. test. Yeah, yeah. that's it. It's just your instinct tells yeah. you this is not. This Something, something's not quite right. Yeah. Well, here's a good question from Conrad Hartman, who's, uh, who's one of our newer members. He asks, Jerry, does ridicule or fear of ridicule play a role in how a witness reports an experience and how a researcher documents the event? In other words, do witnesses ever censor themselves in order not to sound crazy or in order to conform to an interviewer's expectations? And, I guess part two, do writers ever cherry-pick data in order to build a case for an argument while ignoring other high-weirdness elements? Are there elements in the field of paranormal study that many researchers are uncomfortable discussing? It's kind of a three-parter there for you. Well, these are all good questions. Yeah. And uh, first of all, I want to say you 
probably will notice that I have never used the word paranormal. Yeah. To, to me, the paranormal has a specific meaning. It refers to the stuff of parapsychology and psychical research. And I am no authority on those things. I have read some stuff on those subjects. I worked at Fate Magazine for many years, so I know something about that, but I'm not an authority. I am dealing with what I think of as anomalies. Right. And uh, these are more like, you know, ostensible physical phenomena. But um, ridicule plays a huge role. Absolutely. In the, the entire discussion, the entire matter, the entire history of ufology, Fordianism, and so on. Yes, ridicule affects every element of our study of this. It keeps witnesses from speaking up. It affects how researchers and investigators and writers who are sympathetic to these things, like me, write about them and what, we're, what we will say publicly. Well, let me ask you a question that you raised there. Okay, what are you reluctant to talk about because of potential ridicule? I... Um, sometimes when you do with this thing, and you guys don't know exactly what I'm talking about, you know, you're, re you're interviewing a witness, you're reading a case, you're just thinking about these things generally, and you think, you know, maybe this is what it's about, but you know that what you're thinking is fantastic, you can't prove it, it's only an instinct you know, an informed instinct, but based upon your understanding of how these things work and you have some idea of some kind of unifying theory about what causes these things, how they work. Unless you're dumb, and there are a lot of not very thoughtful people who will go forward with fantastic explanations, fantastic theories, which they pass off as, of course, revealed truth. These people get shot down, and, and I think that probably they deserve to get shot down. But, you know, some cases are so are so strange that the late Mark Chervinsky used to call them hopeless cases. Yeah, bizarre, I think would be an understatement. These the best cases tend to have those elements. More, but I realize that I have to be careful how I think about them, how I talk and write about them. Yeah, I think some of the best cases have those bizarre elements in them, and I think that that's what uh, you, you know our questioner was kind of referring to, is that sometimes in order to be taken seriously, I think witnesses do tend to factor out or filter out or edit out bizarre elements that are so unbelievable that it would you know cast the whole rest of the uh, report or event into question because of one element. And um, I found that quite a bit in my work, and I've had people come to me after the fact, months or even years later, and say, you know, remember that case that I told you about? Well, this, this has been bugging me ever since. I didn't tell you about X or Y, because I didn't think you'd believe me. Yeah. Gotta That's believe right. this. <laughs> We're talking to Jerome Clark, author of Unexplained, third edition with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. G-C-N. Great talk radio starts here.
Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. If you owe the IRS back taxes, listen carefully. Sweeping changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all. And now I can help you reduce or eliminate your tax debts and end your tax nightmare. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I've helped thousands of people reduce and eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. And with the IRS's new policies, it's easier than ever to put your tax debt behind you once and for all. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. Call 800-346-6829. Learn how I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. What's the difference in all these online emergency food stores? The difference is Deseret. DeseretFoodStores.com has the best price on a one-year supply of restaurant-style gourmet food starting at just $695 for 875 servings. For the highest quality food with a 30-year shelf life, experience the Deseret difference at DeseretFoodStore.com, spelled D-E-S-E-R-E-T, or call 801-444-1444. DeseretFoodStore.com, food for now, food for life. In a coming-apart world, you need something to keep it tied together. That something is Atwood Rope, the highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, shipyards, tow line, or boating. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive 100 feet of 550 paracord free with purchase. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. 
This is Jim Mosley, editor of Saucer Smear, and I'm here to say a good word or two about the Paracast, which I believe is the gold standard of paranormal radio. Listen to it if you can. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast with Jerome Clark. He has a third edition of Unexplained. And we're talking here about, I guess, witnesses who want to be politically correct or something and therefore may withhold the really strange aspects of their encounters. Now, we also see this in terms of people who investigate or report on these cases, that they hear these things and they say, you know, I can't report that because MUFON is not going to believe it. It's not going to really work with the public. Do you see that too? Well, all of us have what you might call a sense of the possible. And I think, for example, the hardcore debunkers obviously have less a sense of the possible than, than we three have, and I'm sure most of your listeners. But all of us at some point have a boggle threshold beyond which intellectually, emotionally, whatever, we cannot go. And that's not entirely bad. You know, one manifestation of that is a critical filter. But you have to balance all these things as you're studying these phenomena, listening to witness testimony, and so on. It's, it's really very difficult. And, and I, as long as I have been at this, I'm still working on it. And as in more conventional inquiry, one thing that helps you focus on things is to have a theoretical framework in which certain events, certain phenomena logically follow and are connected. And at the same time, there are going to be things outside that. And you're going to have to decide whether these things are trivial or they're important. And if you think they're important, you're going to have to revise or expand or change the theoretical framework. But there's nothing wrong with having a reasonable theoretical framework to guide you in your inquiry. Yeah, but you also have to have an open mind, and I, I think you, you, I think we owe it to ourselves as investigators to never factor anything out or factor anything in. I think we need to be as objective about it as possible. And well, that that's not saying that's that's not what I'm saying. Of course, we should be objective, and of course, we should be open-minded. But there, but if you don't have some kind of broad theoretical framework, then you're just taking in just sort of random stimuli, and they're not coming together as anything. It's just like you have a whole bunch of curiosities that lead nowhere. No, you have to have some idea, and you have to test these hypotheses. Right. You have to say that this validates the hypothesis, and if you find something that's even bigger that invalidates the hypothesis, well, then, of course, you, you need a different hypothesis or at least a revision of your working hypothesis. But yeah, you have to be flexible enough to do that. Ideological about it. Yeah, you have to be flexible to be able to change uh, whatever theoretical framework you have based on on the evidence that you're collecting and your analysis of it. Well, yeah, I mean that's not really what we're just talking about. I'm just talking about a broad, tentative, you know, uh, theoretical framework. I mean, yeah, that's the way science works. Yeah, for it's instance, only it, when it becomes rigid and impervious to falsification that it becomes a problem. Yeah, but just a way to guide your attention and, and to guide your focus, you know, you've got to go somewhere. Otherwise, you're just a victim of a whole bunch of random claims and factoids and rumors that don't add up to anything. Right. Well, one thing that I've, I've always found uh, fascinating about 
you know, my 20 years now going on, uh, keeping an eye on the San Luis Valley in, in Southern Colorado is, is the, the coincidental aspect that we kind of mentioned briefly before and the synchronicities, whether it's societal events, weird weather, um, abnormal roadkill on the road, uh, unusual numbers of fires. Um, these types of things tend to happen during waves of UFO sightings, I, I found. And it's, it's not a, a steadfast rule. But, boy, when those things do occur uh, concurrently with some of the reports uh, that are filed, it's hard not to <laughs> to kind of perk up a little bit and say, hmm, I wonder if there's some sort of connection there, if there's a correlation. So, yeah, I think it's important to have, like you said, some sort of theoretical framework within which to bounce all this craziness uh, off of because – you're not going to last very long out in the field if you don't. It's going to take you and eat you up and spit you out. And I've seen it happen. I know you have. Gene has. We've seen it happen to people. It just the heat in the kitchen gets too hot and uh, people got to bail. And it's unfortunate, but that's one of the reasons why that happens. You know, if you want to do something easy, stay out of this field. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, was that an understatement? <laughs> Gosh. Oh, boy. Well, here's one, a good question here uh, from Ufology up in Calgary, Alberta. What aspect of your work as a ufologist have, has given you the most satisfaction over the years? Well, to repeat myself, on one level, the airship phenomenon, which continues to fascinate and intrigue yeah. me. On the other level is the work that I did on that multi-volume UFO encyclopedia series. Yeah, well, that's... Which oof. occurred in the 1990s, and which was really an effort not only to say, here's what it is, here's what this phenomenon is, well, what it looks like, not what it is, what it looks like, but also just to preserve the social history yeah. of the controversy and the official investigations, the civilian groups, the hoaxes, the contactees, the theories, all of these things, which I thought had never really been written about very well, with some rare exceptions like David Jacobs' 1975 book, The UFO Controversy in America. But I got to do this at great length, and I think that history will stand, and anybody in the future who comes back to that and said, what was this like? Yeah. What were they talking about? What were they dealing with? It's in that series. Invaluable research tool. Thank you. That's that the most satisfying thing I've done. You know, here's a historical thing. I don't know if you ever remember this researcher, but he had some unusual theories to offer under a pseudonym. Tom Camella? Yes, yeah, Peter Kaur. Right. He wrote under the name Peter Kaur, and at first you thought he was a skeptic, and then he was trying to convey some really strange aspect of UFOs and reality that we couldn't understand. What was your take on him? Could you tell our listeners more about him? and how he was part of the theorists who arose in the 60s and 70s. Camilla was a guy from Kid, actually, when he started in, from Cleveland. And he started a flying saucer bulletin, oh, maybe 55, mid-50s. And he was just kind of typical. He was kind of gullible, but he did also publish interesting material. And um, he was sort of more open-minded about contactees than I was at his age and and, and remain. But he, he eventually evolved into this sort of alternative personality, Peter Kaur. And Kaur, Peter uh, Camilla Kaur began publishing these essays in Ray Palmer's Flying Saucers magazine. 
And um, they were really both esoteric and egocentric. And it wasn't always possible to understand what he was saying. And he would refer to himself in the third person in this kind of oracular style, which was really off-putting. And um, he was basically, as I read him, and then I subsequently had some not terribly pleasant correspondence with him, that he was essentially a, a kind of, he was essentially a skip. He was just, had a kind of different focus on it, but it, his prose was often impenetrable. I know that I had some correspondence with him over the years, talked to him on the phone. In person, he was a very pleasant guy. Oh, that's good. Totally I'm pleasant. I hear that, seriously. Right, but when you read these articles, you got the impression, as you did, of someone who was very egocentric, wanted you to believe that he had some kind of information or knowledge, but his prose, as you say, was so dense, it was impossible to see what was going on. At first, he came across as a skeptic, and then he said, well, no, there's more going on here, and you've got to understand what I'm saying, and you've got to look at the points that I'm directing you to, but then nobody ever got it figured out. And every time you thought you had it figured out... It wasn't quite something that you could figure out. With Gene, well, and... but just, Go ahead. you just got the feeling at some point that it wasn't worth the effort. Was he just had... playing a game with all of us? We'll have to wonder. We're talking to Jerome Clark, author of Unexplained, third edition with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Clear out your pantry and make room in your closets. You're going to need the space for these hot August deals at BePrepared.com. Going on now, save 23% on Provident Pantry Scrambled Egg Mix or 28% on freeze-dried strawberry slices. New this month, baking cocoa for daily use or long-term storage. Buy one of the Provident Pantry baking or dessert combos and save up to $25 off individual component pricing. Or add some weight to your water storage at BePrepared.com. The ultimate 55-gallon water barrel combo is on sale this month for only $94.99. Food and water storage is great, but how how are you going to cook it in an emergency? The popular Volcano 2 collapsible stove. Save $27.96 off MSRP. Go to BePrepared.com for more details and more August savings now through August 31st. Call 800-999-1863 to experience exceptional customer service and BePrepared.com's low price guarantee. That's 800-999-1863. The choice is clear. Be unprepared or BePrepared.com. 
Iodine protection packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. How would you like to have normal blood pressure? This is Ernesto from Illinois. I had my doctor's appointment yesterday and I got my labs in. My HDL is 119L and my LDL is 37L. My doctor asked what I was doing to lower it so much, so I told her about HB Extract. Millions of people like Ernesto are suffering from high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, unbalanced cholesterol, irregular heartbeat, and clogged arteries. But now there's an effective, natural, 100% organic nutritional supplement for a healthy heart and circulation. Heart and Body Extract. My blood pressure has not gone past 125 over 80 in almost a month. Experience amazing benefits when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of Heart and Body Extract. She did a double take when she looked at my ER labs. She couldn't believe it. Order at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. Thank you. Heart and Body Extract. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. With Gene and Chris on the PowerCast, one more segment with Jerome Clark, who's author of Unexplained in the third edition. We were talking about a peculiar UFO researcher, writer, theorist named Thomas M. Camilla from the Cleveland area, as a matter of fact, who wrote under the name Peter Kaur, very dense theories. So if you find the stuff online, I gather if you look hard enough, you'll find material from him. Should we all just assume he was just playing games with us and drop it all? Well, I, what I think was that to the extent that he had any good ideas, which he seemed to have difficulty communicating coherently, they did get picked up in the in later discourse and debate about among ufologists, you know, Jacques Vallée and, and some of my early books and, and people like that who were, got interested in the subjective aspects of, um, you know, high strangers, UFO experience. And... Ballet, for example, in his 1969 book, Passport to Magonia, wrote quite coherently and influentially some, you know, dissident and unusual revisionist ideas about the meaning of UFO experiences. And so I think that core significance kind of faded over time, and whatever it was to start with. It just wasn't that important. It's just kind of a footnote. It's kind of something where he kept saying the same thing over and over again. It became repetitious, and you were never sure what he was talking about or whether he was even serious or not. Well, he might have been playing word presents games. himself as smarter and wiser than all of his readers is generally <laughs> someone not worth reading. Huh. 
I, I loved all his books. I mean, I, I devoured them when they came out. You mean so. Jacques Vallée? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, we were talking more about Tom Camilla, though. Yeah. Do you remember Camilla? I don't. That's a, a, a the name kind of rings a bell, but that uh, no, nope, I'm not. I was just looking over material online, and I saw a lot of names with which we were all familiar, Jerry. And then this one came across out of the blue. Are we done with the questions? There is the. Uh, the you seem to get this question every time you're on, Jerry, and uh, and that is uh, <laughs> to try to nail down your three favorite. Uh, cases that you find most interesting and puzzling. I think the airship wave would uh, rank up there as number one. Any other cases that really stand out in your mind as being pivotal, possibly, or, or more important than others? Uh, well, it depends on what you're looking for. For example, if you're looking for evidence of the presence of an, an advanced technology behind the UFO phenomenon, presumably extraterrestrial. I mean, there are cases like that. You know, the RB-47 case is the one that always comes up. And, uh, you know, the Transcend Provence physical trace case, the coin helicopter case. I mean, there are some very good cases, very well investigated, well documented, seemingly impervious to debunking that suggest that, yes, there may very well be extraterrestrials visiting us with an advanced technology. If you're looking for that, yes, there are some cases like that. And I just mentioned several. But if you're interested, as I more and more am, in the most the more extreme experiential cases, yeah, yeah, you know, you've got the you've got the you know, the Sherman Ranch case and a whole bunch of other stuff that you can have a lot of fun with. You're not going to nail things down the way you do with some of these really physical cases, but you're going to be open to all kinds of really intriguing possibilities. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, the cases that have the inexplicable elements are the ones that tend to get my juices flowing, I think, a little bit more than uh, your rank-and-file light in the sky darting around. Um, close encounter cases, of course, uh, come to mind. There's been a number of them. Uh, the Dr. X case, uh, the Michelac case, uh, there's been a number of them leaving behind physical evidence, uh, even lasting injury, uh, the cholera cases down in Brazil in the late 70s, early 80s uh, spring to mind. Uh, there are a bunch of them out there, and I, I do urge our listeners to pick up Jerry's books and get yourself up to speed. Um, Jerry is one of the esteemed historians and experts in this field, if you can call anyone an expert. But um, I think it boils down to the, the quality of questions that we ask uh, I think at, at some point we're going to start asking the right questions and we might actually get somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I think actually we probably have made some progress. We're just so close to it that it's only in retrospect that we're going to be able to figure out what we were able to figure out. I agree. I, I think that if, if we weren't making any progress in our understanding, Maybe not solving things, but at least having a greater sense of what we're dealing with. Then the whole thing would be futile, and I just can't bear to think that all our efforts are futile. Yeah, that it's be... hard to think that you've been at this thing for 50 years, and you wake up one day and you say, hey, what have I been doing for the past 50 years? Has it been worth it? Maybe I should have gotten a day job. I think that all of us started out thinking that we were going to solve this. I think all of us now understand we're not going to solve this. But I think that anybody who's really thoughtful and knowledgeable gets at least the satisfaction of knowing that I have a better sense of what we're dealing with, what seems to happen, what seems not to happen, what the parameters of these phenomena are. 
and how they're likely to be experienced and how they're not likely to be experienced. And so I think that there are a lot of things I understand. I don't expect, I think that probably a percentage of UFO reports may be from visitors from our crowded galaxy. If, the, if life is common in the galaxy, we're probably going to see evidence of that, and we may see evidence of that in extraterrestrial visitors. I think that that's probably the best explanation for some UFO reports. But there are plenty of other high strangest UFO reports and other kinds of non ostensibly non-UFO phenomena that are going to require an entirely different explanation, which we're never going to get to because we simply don't have a framework to get to that knowledge. But nonetheless, we can get some sense of at least what it's like and how it works. Before you depart this world, do you think we'll know anything really more about UFOs and the related mysteries? Depends on how long I live. I'm 65, so every day is a blessing. And uh, Well, I Jerry Lewis is 86. He's still going strong, so you never know. I think it all depends. I think that the UFO, the core UFO phenomenon is solvable. It just needs the attention and resources that scientists have. And that's really all, all that it takes. I believe that if science was really applied to UFO sightings, the, the core UFO phenomenon, we'd probably learn a lot in reasonably short order. But, but our understanding of that depends on something we have no control over, and that is science deciding to let down its guard and really look at this. Or of and course, if there are going to happen for another generation of scientists. But then, of course, if UFOs represent ET, maybe they will one day decide to make their presence known. In reality, not in these figments or <laughs> strange, semi-real encounters. Well, Lou, you're talking about the landing on the White House lawn, <laughs> for which it is, remains theoretically possible, but I don't think any of us are anticipating that. The other question would be, of course, would E.T. want to land on the White House lawn? Would that be the ideal place to go? Why not some other country? Why not the U.N.? Certainly, well, if I they're... think that the whole idea is that the, sure. the E.T.'s would show themselves unambiguously. And uh, the White House lawn is just one of many places they could do that. Well, they got stingers up on top of the roof of the White House, so be careful. <laughs> be careful violating restricted airspace, E.T. Yeah. I don't think it would bother E.T. at all. But I don't think it's going to happen, at least not very soon. Very soon. The book is called Unexplained, and the subtitle, Strange Sightings, Incredible Occurrences, and Puzzling Physical Phenomena. Third edition, we only covered... The very basics here. you got to buy a copy of the book. It's available in all the usual offenders. Jerry Clark, you still don't have a website, do you? No. So if we want to look at your works, we just go online, do a Google search? Do a Google search, go to an online bookseller, and just type in Jerome Clark, and, and there it is. And the, the new book, Unexplained, is nearly 500 pages long. It counts front matter, so there's a lot of stuff in there, and, and much of it will be new to people. And uh, what can I say? I hope they read it and enjoy it. Chris O'Brien, where do we find more of your stuff? Well, we live in a strange planet. It's OurStrangePlanet.com. And, Jerry, I want to thank you so much again for coming back on. This is an invaluable research tool. Thanks a lot. And there's one more thing to mention. You want to find us on Twitter. We are the Paracast. 
There's a Paracast fan club on Facebook. Actually, two of them, we have to find a way to merge them. Now, Jerry doesn't get into the social networking stuff, so we don't have to worry about that. Or visit our forums, forum.theparacast.com. Jerry Clark, thanks for joining us on the Paracast. My pleasure. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. <laughs>